Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Thursday, July 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason in Seth the Jason, house. Seth Jason, a hidden gem himself. Yes, you are. Everybody says it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever says that. Now I guarantee you, there are there Especially are a couple a, wife. a couple of longtime listeners who are like, "Oh, it's Seth. It's He's Seth. back in the studio. I remember him. He corralled Boy, him. Boy, does he look old? <laughs> that's why. That's the beauty of an audio. Hey, listen podcast. to this, everybody. Hear that? All my teeth still there. Nice. Um, and he was actually hitting his teeth with a pen. So uh, we're we're going to talk small caps because that's what you do over at Hidden Gems, and mm-hmm. we're going to get into the Tesla move uh, news. We we talked a little bit about Tesla yesterday with with all of the stuff with with Volvo and and the auto parts business. But let's start Why with why Tesla doesn't actually have that market all to itself. Shh! Don't tell the investors. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's start with Yum China Holdings, which is mm. the operator of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell in China. You may remember the the spinoff last year. Um, sec- which is, is, you made double your money or something from then, it looked like, from the chart. Does that sound right to you? I just took a quick look. <laughs> Second quarter results were pretty good, but this is... I feel like we're we've seen this movie before in the United States, and it goes something like this. Pizza Hut is dragging us down. Wow. Like, whatever else is happening at KFC and Taco whatever good things are happening at KFC For and Taco anyone, Bell, Pizza Hut is killing us. And you want to be able to make the same joke about Taco Bell, but there's a Pizza Hut near my my house, and it is just a metaphor for what I keep hearing in corporate news-wise from Yum. It's just the kind of place nobody goes there. I, I visit it pretty often. It's the only way I can get from the place where I buy my gas station back onto the road. So I drive through the parking lot quite often. <laughs> you visit the parking lot. And it's easy to do because it's always empty. It's unencumbered by cars. Yeah. Uh, it's strange. I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out on the side of Yum in this because I figure if you can sell pizza in China anyway, you can probably fix how you're selling pizza in China. 8,000 locations of all types, and that is an awful lot. It's only it's like one for every 125,000 uh, people in China, I think, if there's a billion of them. I don't know how that stacks up to the U.S., but down, what, 12% or something on the news? Yeah, and I mean, the stock's kind of getting hit. Still trading at almost 30 times earnings, so that's not really a surprise if you say you're not going to be a, a really quick growth uh leader in China, you're probably not going to trade at 30 times earnings for, for that much longer. But it seems like the kind of problem that is, is fixable. A company like uh, like Yum, both in China and the U.S., they sort of know what they're doing. Well, and you think back a few years ago, and they were facing uh, significant problems with KFC with their chicken suppliers. And, uh, I mean, that's, the, you know, that, I mean, what's going on with Pizza Hut right now pales in comparison to the challenges that they faced a few years ago. Yeah, it's it's fun to make fun of these companies and say that oh the food is gross and everything, but they they actually are on top of they're good at a lot of this stuff. You don't you don't run eight, you don't run thousands and thousands of restaurants without knowing a lot about what you're doing. Think of all the times they're not poisoning people every day. Just think about that. Or whenever there's a, you know, an E coli thing, I love to talk about it and then I stop and I think the amazing thing is that there's not ten stories a day. It doesn't happen more often, that, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on to Tesla. Um, Tesla shares down this morning and over the past week down about fifteen percent. 
the the headline. <laughs> it's like, oh, you amateurs! Every stock I, every small cap I pick, that's sort of every day for those things. <laughs> so the big headline today is this um, this safety rating that yeah. uh, that the model S got from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety. Yeah. They they. they did not get a top rating yeah. on one of the tests. This kind of seems like nitpicking, and to what you had alluded to well, yeah. before, what you had alluded to yeah. before seems to me to be the like. If I'm a Tesla shareholder, and I'm not, but if I were, I would not be concerned about the safety rating on the Model S. I would be more concerned about Volvo's news yesterday. Well, I would be concerned about both. I mean, the Insurance Institute's uh, tests, I think, are pretty darn thorough, and they differ a, a little bit. From the government tests, which you know, let's put this in perspective. Whenever Tesla comes out or the government comes out with those ratings, which are star ratings, the government says you can only talk about the number of stars you have. And Musk and Tesla come out and they like to do the math and say it's the highest rating ever. The government says you can't actually do that. It's just the stars. You don't get extra credit. So they they're out this morning saying, well, you know, these other companies or these other uh, agencies have their own. Have their own motivations. Yeah, the insurance. <laughs> I, I trust the insurance companies to have good motivations when it comes to testing cars because they're interested in not paying high medical bills for people getting injured in cars. Now you might call that, uh, you know, mercenary, but it, it ends up at the same place for us, which is hopefully we'll get safer safer cars. Now they do, as far as I know, the frontal test um, is different. Uh, by the uh, Insurance Institute. It's, I think it's at a higher speed. They do a small, uh, what do they call it? They call a small overlap test, and this is the one that Tesla had problems with. And uh, the good news for Tesla is that it was still uh, apparently the seatbelt that was the issue. It let you smack your head on the steering wheel. And, you know, I don't want to smack my head on the steering wheel either. So I think Tesla, instead of saying, instead of coming out and, and kind of poo pooing the results, should say, you know what? We tried fixing it, which they did, it didn't help. We're gonna fix it because they can. I think that's the good news. You can they can figure out what to do. Airbag and seatbelt pretensioning combinations have been around for a long time. This is a problem they can solve. Well, and and again, they didn't fail the test like that. that I guess that's that's yeah. You can't I get, get the highest they... rating unless you get a really good result here, and uh, and so that's that's why they're they didn't. And I can't remember. I think you also. I think they also had the bad. Uh, not a great headlight rating, which is amazing. A lot of cars have really bad headlights still, which is hard to imagine because as you drive down the road, no, you've got these these headlights blinding you. But apparently, they're not being applied correctly. Well, and as you said, I mean, this this is stuff that the that Tesla can fix, and they presumably will fix it. But again, I'm I'm not trying to play fast and loose with with anyone's safety here. But it, but it we're not talking. When I think back over, say, the last ten to fifteen years in terms of automotive industry writ large and safety issues, what leaps to mind are things like, oh, remember that time that automaker had trouble with explosions? Yeah. You know, that type of thing. So, yeah. it's like they passed, they didn't get the highest rating, presumably they're going to aim higher. Yeah. I do think, going back to yesterday's news from Volvo, I do think that this is something that uh, Tesla, you know, whether it's existing shareholders or prospective shareholders, need to pay attention to, because um, and this is something I had heard for the last few years from uh, executives in the automotive industry that I've spoken to. When Tesla was all about the high-end car, yeah. and they were really competing with just Lamborghini, that sort of thing, they weren't really mainstream. 
what I heard from executives in the automotive industry was, we're keeping our powder try dry until they go mainstream. For the fight at the low end. Right. And that's, that's what, where they know what they're doing. And too. that's where this is. And so that's yeah. why no one should think that Volvo is going to be the only company coming out with no. this type of news. No, in fact, they all are. And they are. And you know, I think I read in a story in Bloomberg yesterday, it was almost three dozen or maybe more companies working on self driving programs. And actually, the, uh, the article was about analysts trying to figure out what to do. Company-wise, picking the winners in the space, and they were picking winners like Buffalo Wild Wings. Hidden Gems recommendation. <laughs> they were saying, "Here's what." Instead of trying to figure out who is going to have the best self-driving car systems or algorithms or whatever, they said, "The history of technology shows us that we won't be able to pick that. It's all going to change. The early leaders might completely stink it up." And so we're going to try to figure out what are people going to be doing while their cars are driving. They're going to be, you know, eating more chicken wings or drinking more Coca Colas, whatever that is. Or drinking more alcohol because I don't have to drive. My car is going to drive me home. Yeah, although I guess for a while you're still going to be expected to be able to take over. And uh, you know, given the given the uh, accuracy of just my voice to uh, voice to text on my new smartphone, I'm going to be a little bit scared of what these cars are doing for a while. Since you invoked Buffalo Wild Wings, um, how's the post-Sally Smith era working out for the people at Mercado Capital? Yeah, well, I wish we got like that's, we'll talk about that all on another show. Okay. All right. Uh, before we keep going, I want to say thanks to Slack for supporting today's episode. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all your team's communications in one place, making your work life simpler and more productive. Slack connects the tools and services you need in one place and allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. We've used it here at The Motley Fool for years. It saves you time. It makes you more productive. We've, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, we have substantially cut down on the amount of internal email because of Slack, and Slack makes it really easier to uh, really easy to tailor your work with over 900 different apps. Uh, so file sharing, anything with Dropbox, Google Drive, Trello, etc. They make it really easy, and with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly. You can pick right up where you left off, no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. You're working on small caps. That's your that's your day to day, week to week gig. Day to day, week to week gig. What are you looking at these days? Well, there was an interesting little uh, acquisition in small cap land uh, for us yesterday, which was that Movado, which is a uh, the high end watch company, yeah. uh, purchased. They make a damn fine watch. They make. They they still have a good share in the luxury watch market, and to back up a, a bit, as, as many listeners would probably guess or maybe even know, uh, watches have been really clobbered the last couple two three years because everyone's um, wearing and picture my air quote fingers wearables right, and a wearable is apparently just a digital watch with more stuff in it. So people are wearing fitness bands or smart watches like the Apple Watch or the Android watches. And as money has shifted over there, money has come out of the traditional watch market. And um, one of the ways you can confront that might be to do what Fossil, which is a hidden gems pick, which has been suffering for a while, has done, which is they acquired um, Misfit a while ago, which had a very low battery power using uh, technology. And they're pretty much going to be incorporating uh, smart functionality into almost every SKU. And so they're working on that. It's It's been a it's been tough, but they're selling more and more of these watches. Movado has sort of taken the opposite approach 
which I think makes sense for them, which is we're going to stay with high fashion. We might have a couple connected watches, but that's not going to be our main goal. And so they recently, uh, which by recently, I guess it was uh, this week, announced they were buying Olivia Burton, which is a pretty new brand. It's a, in uh, London is where it's based. They paid, uh, what was it, about 60 million British pounds for a company selling 15 million uh, pounds worth of watches per year. So they paid a pretty high multiple, but it's a very interesting uh, little fashion uh, watch company. The, the watches I saw sold for a couple of hundred pounds each, and they apparently turn out a new collection every two months. Which is wow, yeah, which is the kind of thing you'd normally you only hear about with H and M or some of the fast casual clothing retailers. So it's very impressive. Founded by a couple of uh, young women, Lisa Bennett and Gemma Fennings, which are two of the most British names I can imagine. Anytime you're going with Gemma, that's yeah. And named for a great aunt of one of them, Olivia Burton being the aunt. Uh, they are friends since fashion school. Um, and uh, if you look at the watches, they have sort of uh, applique bees and flowers and things. They're sort of fun. They really have a different look to them and, and apparently very popular selling at high-end uh, or medium to high-end watch shops uh, just coming over to Nordstrom in the U.S. And then, of course, Movado is going to be able to help them with distribution. I was just going to say, it seems, it seems like whatever, they were, whatever Olivia Burton was doing on their own, Movado's going to let them do. Right. They're going to let them do, but they're also going to leverage their own distribution exactly. network to, to bump that $15 million up to you know 20 or beyond. Yeah. And I think it's probably smart on both uh, both their parts. Movado gets a fast-growing brand, can learn something about reaching this demographic. Uh, and uh, the, the women at Olivia Burton will get the resources from the Movado that they need to expand more quickly than they probably could on their own. So it's pretty interesting because it's Kind of contrary to what's the way the entire rest of the market is going. We'll see if it works. A couple of housekeeping things before we wrap up. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Uh, just want to say thank you to Akash, who is a student in Toronto. Just started listening a couple of months ago, sent a very nice note. So thank you for that. Uh, we like getting questions about stocks, but we, are, we also like just getting a nice note now and then. As I mentioned yesterday, Friday evening, for anyone in the, the D.C. area, Friday evening, tomorrow, 5 to 8 p.m. at the Gallery Underground in Crystal City, Virginia, which is just a couple miles from Fool HQ, Steve Broido's photo exhibit goes on, and as I mentioned, beverages. And Steve will be there, right? Steve's going to be there. So if you've ever wanted to meet the man behind the glass, the sardonic wit in in person. Yes, and also quite quite a good eye. I mean, you're 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 a photographer as well. So Steve takes good pictures. Yeah. And can we expect a a Seth Jason photo exhibit going up anytime soon? I think Uh, we need uh, that. Yeah, sort of given up on that. <laughs> you're, you're actually spending time a while, elsewhere. A while ago, yeah, too many, too many hobbies. I was uh, more of a photojournalist, and uh, I did a lot of. Well, I did the fine art photography. I did lots of different things. Put myself through grad school, taking pictures of uh, art for galleries and and uh, museums, and actually worked day to day at a gallery that was uh, later turned out to uh, that one of the owners was convicted of heisting millions from really? some of his clients, including De Niro. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so, and Bloomberg was one of the big outfits on this on this story. And uh, one of their photographers was roughed up by, by the guy's son. And I, yeah, it was pretty crazy. 
So, were, were, I, I mean, I don't so, want to get you in any sort of legal trouble, but were you paid under the table with with ill-gotten cash? No, I wasn't. Well, I, I suppose some of the cash was ill-gotten. At the time, I just thought uh, that the, the the person who was convicted, I thought he was a pretty terrible human being. But I mostly <laughs> dealt with, with the other folks in the office. But, yeah, it was sort of crazy when it came out. It was one of those things where I said, oh, yeah, uh, this doesn't surprise me at all. So I've already done my family vacation. You've got one coming up, Iowa. Oh, yeah. You're doing the big. There's a big. There's a bike trip across the state of Iowa. Yeah, every summer registers uh, annual great bike ride across Iowa, and known by its acronym uh, RAGBRAI, named to have a ridiculous acronym during the '70s. Sort of, it was a, a joke because government entities were all coming up with these terrible acronyms. Um, so it's every uh, last full week of July, and uh, you travel from western Iowa all the way to the east side. Uh, and how many uh, miles is that? It depends on the year. This year it's a northern route, but it's all which is flat, which makes it easier. But it's also fairly short because in northwest Iowa there is a shortage of towns big enough to be kind of the kickoff town. The thing of this is, this isn't just a couple thousand riders. This is 10,000 plus riders plus support vehicles. We roll into these towns of maybe 3,000 people and spend the night. The entire towns are overwhelmed. I mean, back in the day, they've, they've got the food figured out. Now they have more food trucks and things. Back in the day, the restaurants in town didn't know what to do. You actually would starve on this ride because <laughs> the restaurants would give up serving food. They would just quit and you couldn't get anything. So wow. if you were a RAGBRAI veteran back then, as my wife and I were, you knew beforehand to go to High V, which is the supermarket, and eat at the the hot deli or just you know buy groceries because in some of these towns you wouldn't you wouldn't be fed. So she and I are gonna drive self-contained from the end town to the start town, and then throw our stuff in the team van and then ride ride back with the ride. So we're gonna kind of cross Iowa twice. So you say it's a shorter route this year. 400 some miles, fairly oh, flat. Doesn't sound short to me. Uh, Casey's General, you're going to hit a pizza? Uh, oh, Casey's. Stop on? There, we have a couple of stops planned on our ride out where the only game in town for food will be Casey's. But the thing about riding a bike across Iowa in the summer heat is it's part of it is sort of resetting your priorities. If you can get water, <laughs> you can get water and a sandwich, life is good. You're saying balancing a pizza on your handlebar is maybe not the way to go. I am. Th- I was actually thinking of how to get a pizza on the back rack, and I'm pretty sure I can do it. So nice. We'll try. If I do it, I'll take some video. Fantastic. <laughs> so that, I'll tweet that out. So that the tragic face is there when I lose it. So, Jason, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.